weekly message from Encounter, where your past has no future and hope is reborn. Here is today's special guest speaker. to come today and and they've got five minutes to introduce their their message to you give you their scripture and then share it with you and um, and then the timer will go off and the next person up amen and so keep them in prayer that uh, it's starting off uh, I don't even see her here Tracy Swart oh there she is could you welcome Tracy Okay, be in faith with me that <clears throat> I'll get through this without needing to gulp this down. I've been uh, <clears throat> fighting some things here. Okay, sorry, y'all. i got to get to my notes. came quicker than I thought. Uh, I think that I have my scripture up. Um, the scripture I'm using today is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. <clears throat> the title of my message is, It's All About Him. Um, something that I have dealt with, I'll say, through the years is having the focus on myself. Um, it's even got to the point where most recently I question myself. I'm like, do you really realize what all, you read your Bible all the time, but do you really take in what it says? Or are you just seeing it as something you're supposed to do? I guess probably the don denomination I was raised in is very works-oriented. And so the focus a lot of times was on that. <clears throat> so I'm trying not to get caught up in my, my do, but make it more about the who. Um, I'm not going to say that I've arrived, that I've got that all figured out, but with his patience, I'm working more and more towards the good side of that, the balance of that. So I was going to share a little bit of a testimony. Pretty much when I, when I wake up in the morning, first thing pretty much out of my mouth is, good morning, Lord. And I thank him, or I try to remember to thank him for raising me up. It's better to be up than the alternative of that. And uh, even if I'm having a rough day, or maybe not feeling the greatest, it's still better than the alternative. And then I kind of lay there in bed, and I, um, you know, kind of talk to him about my family, my pastors, my church family, my kids, uh, my grandchildren. And I try to spend some time just being silent with him and allowing him to 
instruct me on who, who needs some prayer today, whether it's one of you guys or... Many times he will put one of you guys on my heart and I apologize to you for maybe not sharing with you that I'm praying for you. But anyway, um, I, I, tr- I try to be silent in front of him because sometimes I get so caught up in what I'm supposed to say. When, okay, let's recite all the scripture. Um, you know, pray for all the people, that kind of thing. Um, as actually Pastor Rice at one time said, you know, can, can we just be silent with him and then listen to what he's saying to us? It's not always a comfortable position for me to be silent. <laughs> uh, I, I think I have to be doing, doing, doing. And also then, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I, I've gotten up out of bed and... Um, it's about reading the word, which I, I know is good, but my desire is to do that because I want to know him more, not because I'm supposed to do it. And so, you know, that might be something else I'll do in the morning. And finally, I'll sing, sing to him, whether it's something that I come up with or just a song that he's laid on my heart. Pastor's been talking to us about the, the song that Jesus sings over us. And so I've been really conscious in the morning, pretty much after I start talking to him, I mean, there's a song right there. And I'm like, I try to note what that song is. What, what's he saying to me about that song? What, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with today? And so if I can find it on YouTube, I'm turning it on and listening to the words and things like that. <clears throat> so... That's kind of a typical morning. You never know. I, if I get going early, sometimes I don't do any of that. But at any rate, um, one morning when I had done, I had had a good morning with him. I, I felt like he and I spent time together. Um, it wasn't a rush thing. It wasn't like a duty. Um, I was in the shower after that, and um, it was. you know how God will sometimes just drop something in you? It's not, he doesn't knock on the door and, you know, a big, bright, shiny light or anything like that. But just in my getting ready, you know, washing my hair or whatever, I felt him say to me, you know, it's not about what you do. And it was just, I can't, can't explain it totally, but there was an inner peace from him saying that to me. In the past, if I had have heard that, I would have been like, <gasps> he was, con- I was being condemned by it. I was worrying about, oh, did, when is the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time you talked to somebody about Christ? Whatever. So for me, that was a victory that by him saying that to me, it's not about what you do. That's not the thing, is it? <laughs> it is? I'm done? Am I done then? Okay. All right. Who's next? So much. Apologize. I was running late this morning. I didn't have time to do my hair. That joke never get. It never gets old. 
Thank you. Now that everybody is looking at my bald head. Seen that coming. I was waiting for everybody to have sunglasses on, to be honest with you, because I thought that's where it was going to go. <clears throat> uh, all right. Title of my message, Live by Faith. What is faith? Well, the simple definition of faith, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. How many here drive? This is a real good example for faith. You're riding down the freeway. Do you know there's only a couple little tiny bolts keeping you straight on the road? Just a couple little tiny bolts that keep you from going completely off the road at 65. I hope you're all doing 65. If not, let me know so I'm not riding on the road with you. Having faith, that, that's a simple way you can look at what faith is like. You just get behind the wheel and you just drive, trusting that that car is going to go straight down the road. But really, when you think about it, what's really holding you on the road? There's not much there. That, that takes a lot of faith to drive that car, and we take that for granted because you just get in and go because why? You've done it day after day after day. You've gotten in the car, you got on the highway, and you drove, and nothing happened because it's been constantly the same thing, and it's been relatively safe. So you've built up a faith in that. God does the same thing with us. He gives us little things here and there to strengthen our faith in him. My scripture I wanted to use today was Hebrews 11.6. I started off with a couple of scriptures. One was in Romans, and it just ends. It's written three times in the Bible. The just shall live by faith. Um, but I felt this was a little bit more appropriate. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That, that's the constantly getting in your car, constantly trusting that God is going to do what he said he will do and trusting in him that he will take care of you. That's the faith, and he, he's looking for us to have that in him and that trust in him. Why does it please him? The basis of why it pleases him is not because you're serving him or you're meeting some requirement, but it's, it's like you know, if you're a parent and you have a child and you tell your child, listen, Trust me, this is what you should do. And when they do it, it makes you happy that they listened to you because they trusted you. And it comes down to that trust issue. So us establishing faith in God is showing that we trust him, and that's what he enjoys. That's the, the pleasure he gets. Um, thinking about it in terms of um, a couple of scriptures that were in the Bible, a couple of stories, think about your life. Maybe you're in a situation like blind Bartimaeus. Okay, Jericho, Jesus is coming out of Jericho, and there's blind Bartimaeus. What's he doing? He's sitting on the side of the road begging for money, food, whatever. He's got nothing. Maybe we're in that situation where you can't see your situation or you can't see a way out of it like he couldn't see anything. But look at what he did. He stood up there and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was seeking out Jesus because he heard he was coming. And then everybody around him is telling him, quiet, just be quiet. Quiet, stop yelling. He had enough faith to see past what everybody was telling him. So he stood up and he got even louder. He said, son of David, have mercy on me. That 
there was what drove Jesus to say, hold on, bring him over here. He's got enough faith that he's calling out to me beyond all his circumstances. And, and Jesus even said, your, he, your faith has what healed you. So let's look at the other story. This one here I wanted to do a little bit more on. It's in Mark 5.25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. That's, that's some faith right there. To faith that I don't even have to touch him. I don't have to talk to him. I just have to touch his clothes. That's all I got to have. And imagine, she's gone through 12 years living with this in her life. She saw many physicians. She's gone to many doctors and gotten all these diagnoses. She's gone through all these tests that she's had to deal with. She's taken all these medications to try and get better. And nothing's gotten better. It's actually gotten worse. And right now she says, I know that if I try to get up here because of the way they view me, they may pull me out of here, they may stone me, I may get publicly ridiculed, but I have faith that all I have to do is touch his clothes. If you're dealing with a health problem or a situation where you can't see anything, just having faith in him, just like they did, that's faith. Faith that, that's all it takes. It's just that slight belief. All I got to do is touch his clothes. And the, the best part about this is he's open for you to have more than just touching his clothes. How much more can you get out of that? I think that that's pretty amazing. Praise God. I'm going to talk about the faithfulness of God. How many knows our God's faithful? Praise God. And the title of my message is Trusting in the Faithfulness of God. You see, it's easy to do that when everything's going your way. The sun's shining and the birds singing and everything you do, it seems to work out just fine. But when you find your back up against the wall and you find yourself in trouble, when the doctor gives you that diagnosis or the banker calls or, or something else goes wrong, we've got to trust in the faithfulness of God and know that He is God, that He is able. The Bible says to do exceeding and abundantly above anything you can ask or think. You know, the Bible says He's not a man that He should lie or the son of man that He should repent. He says, hath He said and shall He not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So we've got to trust in that faithfulness. When your back's against the wall, you know, it's easy when you can see the path ahead of you, you know? That's why we like to 
We like to tell God how to do things. Because then we've got it all figured out and we become God. But when nothing makes any sense, and I don't know why, but I thought about Joseph this morning. You think about that. Joseph ends up in a pit. His brothers sell him into slavery. But God is still faithful. He goes into Potiphar's house and, 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 and God puts him in charge of the whole house. It's the faithfulness of God. Even when he's thrown in prison, God is still there and God is still faithful. And to him, he's got to be thinking, what in the world is going on? You know, the, this can't be God. Because we think if it's good, it's God. And if it's bad, it's the devil. You know, we often blame the devil for something he didn't even do. But you see, what I said this morning is God has the best for you. Maybe it's the sweet potatoes on the table. I mean, as harsh as that is, maybe it's the peas. For some of you guys, it's broccoli, but I like broccoli. So but we have to trust in his faithfulness and trust in his, his, his justice and his mercy and his ability. He knows everything, you know. But it's when you can't see it. It's, it. it's when the way ahead of you is not clear. It's when you're like the children of Israel up against the Red Sea. You've got to trust in his faithfulness. My, my verse is Deuteronomy 7, 9, and it says, Know therefore, and I love the, the kind of the forcefulness and the finality of this verse. God is saying this is how it is. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's God. If we could just get in our mind that he is God, it isn't a contest between him and the devil. It's never been a contest. The devil never had a chance. He never had a chance. He is God. In every situation you find yourself in, all things work together for good that them that love God and them that are called according to his purpose. So he is God. And it says the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. That's God's way of saying he don't ever break his word. He don't ever break his covenant. I love it in Hebrews where the Bible says, when he made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And he uses the word immutable or immutability, which means not subject to change. That his word cannot be changed. It's forever settled in heaven. It's a done deal. The enemy's goose was cooked from the very beginning when he rebelled. And that's just how it was. He still thinks he can win, you know. But he's done. He's finished. And Psalms 119 and 90 backs it up. It says, thy faithfulness is unto all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Despite so-called global warming and... And all these other things, man, they're saying that man's going to destroy the earth and they're going to blow it up and do all this. No, it's going to stand because God said it's going to stand. The Bible says it stands fast because he established it. And he has established you. And you can stand fast in your circumstances today. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, you can stand fast because you've got the King of kings and Lord of lords on your side. You've got the sweet rose of Sharon. You've got the lily of the valley and the, the fairest of 10,000 on your side today. Get it in your spirit. He is God. There's no contest. He's God. And besides him, there is no other God. Now, like what it says in 2 Timothy 2 and 13, it says, if we are faithless, faithful less, 
he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself even when we struggle even when we doubt God is still faithful when the children of Israel found themselves up against the Red Sea they're back against the Red Sea God was still faithful and he made the way praise God Amen, amen, damas gloria a Cristo porque él es digno. Yes, amen. <laughs> Always have to give it up in my language. He knows it. Um, the title of my message is May I Have Your Attention, Please. I want to speak to you about the many ways that the Lord may speak to you. And that if you fine-tune your attention to his voice, you'll be amazed at the understanding he wants to pour into you. You should know first that since he speaks out of a language of love, he will be using a language that is intimate to only you and him because he wants you to understand what he's saying and wants you to be kept in awe of your relationship with him. He speaks in dreams, in visions, nudges, and stirrings through his word and through other people, in numbers, colors, places, sensations like smell or touch, and through events that seem coincidental or prearranged or happenstance that we know as God incidences. He also will speak to you in other languages, and he will provide both the meaning and the understanding if you ask him to. In the last week, the Lord has been speaking to me about being prepared, being ready, and being on time. So this was my Friday. I woke up from a dream. The only thing I could remember from it was two numbers, 111,000, and double that, 222,000. I wondered about it, brought it before the Lord, and began my day. I felt a quickening, a tug, a nudge from the Lord saying, be ready, get ready, be prepared, a few times in the next two hours, using chips, sanctified chips. I pulled three random chapters out of the Bible to read, and one was 2 Timothy 4, and I read this in verses 2 and 5. Preach the word, be ready, in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. At this point, I'm checking the calendar and asking God if it was time to preach again for five minutes of fire. So I sense it again. Be ready. So I obeyed and went to shower and got ready. And about 11 o'clock, I got an email to have an interview at 11.30 by phone. It was a recruiter trying to see if I would like this job. He was offering me my old job. <laughs> so I sit and I wait on the Lord, and he's nudging me to be ready at 1 o'clock. At 12.58, I got a text from Pastor Mike who asked some of us to preach for five minutes of fire. So I knew already what my verse was and what my starting point was. I thought about it some more. I went about my day until about 9 p.m. when the Lord had me sit with him, and I asked him what he wanted me to do. He told me to get out seven sheets of paper, just like this, and to write on him. But first, wait. I want you to get another sheet out and draw on it. I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to draw? And he said, a llama. I'm like, really, a llama? Then I get a phone call. It interrupts all of this. And he, while I'm talking on the phone, God downloaded it to me about llama. It's llama in Spanish. It's not just an animal. It's a call 
and a flame or fire. I then thought about the talking donkey, right? A talking donkey in Numbers 22, right? So I'm thinking, maybe is he, is he referring again about the, the llamas, a talking llama? So I asked him more about it, and it came along, and I saw the word call in verse 20. So it says, and God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise and go with him. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. And then it hit me, the dream. It was about two numbers. Was it two verses in numbers? Chapter 22, verse 20. Okay, let's take off a couple of zeros. What about numbers 11, verse 1? Now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some on the outskirts of the camp. So there I had call, and I had fire. That was from my dream that night. So now the drawing about the llama was confirmed, and the word being call, and flame, or fire, as well as the meaning of my dream. But what was God trying to say to me? And he said this, How the calling of the Lord burns within you. I tested again. I recalled Moses and the burning bush, how Moses' call was out of the flame in Exodus 3, 22 and 4. But is this his message? I searched for the word fire in relation to a prophet's calling, and I found Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. So I decided... At midnight, I would sleep on the word and ask again in the morning. I chose three chapters to read in the morning. The first one came up out of 1,250 chapters in the Bible, Numbers 1, to refer to Numbers. Luke 5, the calling of the disciples. And then it was repeated, Jeremiah 20. The same chapter I read the night before, and I wanted to see if he was really calling me said, yes, the calling of the Lord burns within me. And uh, as I go about uh, this next week, I'd ask for a little intercession, a little prayer, because 10 fame ministries, what God has had in my heart for 30 years, is coming about starting next Sunday. Hallelujah. Didn't they do a great job? That's the Lord. I'm sitting here, hallelujah. I was here thinking how much a smile is on our Father's face when he sees those who from their heart speaks through their mouth. Ooh, hallelujah. Today I have opportunity to speak to you. And in 40 years of serving the Lord, I've never spoke about this. I'm shaking inside, really, because um, it's a powerful message, and I don't know, I'm sure it's for someone here or someone maybe on Facebook over across the planet who might be seeing this, but the name of my sermon today is called Framed. October 16th, 2019, there was a young lady by the name of Allison Wendell in California. She was 10 years old. She committed suicide. Make his side because she felt that she was being bullied at 10 years old. You may not know this, but 129 people every day kill themselves here in America. Today, 
129 people will end their life. We have seen an increase of 24% of uh, 24% for over the last three years in suicide. Hebrews 11:3 says this: Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. If you look up what three things or what is the reason why folks are pressing in to do this. There are several obvious reasons, drugs and alcohol. But what, sh- what the number one reason was death by despair. What is that? It's loss of hope. Can I tell you today, if you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Because <laughs> I know the one who is hope. Can someone say amen to that? Can I tell you today that one of the things that is said that it was a lack of education is reason why they're rushing to suicide. And the world wants you to think, well, because you didn't finish high school or you didn't, hallelujah, that you didn't uh, get your degree. But I'm here to tell you today, that's not the education that, that is, needs to change your thought. For you see, the world and the enemy will tell you that you are a loser. He will tell you that you're ugly and stupid and worthless. He'll say you're always wrong. He'll say you're alone and you're unloved. Hallelujah. But can I tell you uh, that he is the liar and the father of all lies? Can someone say amen? Hallelujah. The word of God says that this world was framed by God. How cannot your life also be framed by his word? Can someone say amen? If he took the time for his word to frame the oceans and the land and the fish and the sea, he obviously would frame you all. Also, let's find out what the Word of God says about you. He says that, that you, hallelujah, are loved. That you are made uniquely in your mother's womb. Hallelujah. He says he will make you beautiful. He knows your name. Hallelujah. He paid. Don't miss this, Michael. He paid a ransom for you. Hallelujah. He is hope. He will never leave you. He will never leave you alone. He's prepared a place for you. Hallelujah. The lie is, hallelujah, you can just believe what the word wants to say, but the Lord says that you are a child of God and you have all these benefits. Who shall you believe this day? Who will define you? Will you allow your mistakes of your life to define you? Or will you allow his word that was written, it was written thousands of years before you were born. Social media, so-called friends want to paint you out to be this or that. You need to just tell them, shut up. What? Yeah, say it. Say it loud in your spirit. Shut up. Because I know a God Brother Stetson, that has written in my heart his word. And his word has said that I'm never alone. He's always with me. 
you have nothing to be afraid of. But Brother Dave, you don't recognize what, what I've done to my life. Dude, I do remember. I know what happened. I did my, my life, man. I smashed it to the ground. But he loved me anyway. He said, it's okay. I love you. Don't let this world define you. Don't let those who say they love you define you. Let the one who is proven, <laughs> he's proven how much he loves you. He has proven that he has a place for you. I'll say this. I know my time is ending. But I remember being right there, praise and worship. And I begin to ask God, where do you have a place for me? He says, I love you, David. I do have a place for you. He has a place for you in this world. Trust in him. Amen. So um, I want to start off by asking a question. Have you guys ever been in a place in your life where it seems like no matter what you do, uh, it seems like everything just goes against everything that you're trying to build. Uh, I, I, and, and the most confusing thing is you can actually know it's from God. And you're like, oh, man, dude, I know I heard God told me to do this. You know, uh, why am there so much resistance? Well, I'm here to tell you anytime God moves, there's resistance. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but we live in a world, and it says in the, uh, in the, in the Bible that uh, the, we live according to the Spirit. And, and the spirit's contrary to the flesh, right? So I, I titled the message today, um, Fighting to Rebuild. And I wanted to share with you guys um, somebody uh, in the Bible who uh, I've been relating to a lot here recently. Uh, he's an Old uh, Testament prophet. His name is uh, Nehemiah. Some of you may know Nehemiah. Uh, uh, in his time uh, was... Uh, uh, Jerusalem was in a bad spot. It was actually uh, being ruled by Persia. Um, and, uh, but David had a good place there. He, uh, not David, Nehemiah, I'm sorry. Well, had a good spot there. He was actually a cupbearer, uh, which if, if you don't know what a cupbearer is, it's a high-ranking official to the king. Uh, uh, Nehemiah got word that uh, Jerusalem was in ruins, that its walls were tore down, its gates were, were uh, burned, and he immediately wept. Why? I mean, this is his home. It doesn't matter where he's at. He knows that, 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 that the, he, the, the, the Jews are the Lord's people, and he knew that this is not what God intended for his people. It, it didn't matter who was over them at the time. It didn't matter the situation they were in. He knew the intent of God, and it wasn't that. So the king, so he immediately started to pray fast and ask the Lord to move and to hear him, okay? Now, the king, this is so cool. I mean, we're talking about a Persian king. I, I, I dare say he probably didn't share in the exact same beliefs. But he picked up on, on, on Nehemiah, and he, he goes to him, he says, why are you saddened? Nehemiah said, Lord, uh, you know, my, my great king, uh, my, uh, my home, where my fathers are buried, you know, it's, it's in ruins. And he said, well, what would you have me do? 
It's awesome that he, he asked him a question and then gave him a response. He just told him. He said, hey, man, listen, I, you know, in my, my home, it's, 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 it's not looking so good there. And he instantly said, what, what, what do you want me to do about it? And he said, well, permit me to go. Bless me to go and rebuild. And, you know, Nehemiah didn't ask for an army. He didn't ask for tools. He went there with one thing, an assignment. He knew what he was called to do, okay? So Nehemiah gets there, and, and listen, it's, it's not looking good. He actually does a double take around the property. He was like, my God, you know? Uh, and not only was it Jerusalem in ruins, there were wild beasts roaming all over the place. Enemies camped out all around the place. The people were divided and scattered among the land. Do you think that stopped Nehemiah? Absolutely not. He went in there. He encouraged the people. He told them that he was there from God, and he said, this is what we're going to do. And, oh, wait, did I mention that no, I read, it didn't talk about, these wasn't masons. They weren't builders. They didn't have occupations. They darn sure didn't have cranes or bulldozers. You know what I mean? Uh, Oh, wait, it gets better. There's a famine. <laughs> so what does Nehemiah do? Does he just gets at it? Just gets at it. He knows the calling that God has given him. He just gets at it. People are discouraged, uh, uh, and, and he just starts working. He sells everything he has. He buys food for his people. Starts working. Well, the people all around him they start hearing about this stuff. Man, I can't bit dare remember their names, but it's 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 the people that are all around him. They start sending threats. See, listen, man. The enemy knows he can't do anything. He can't stop it. But what can he do? It says in the Bible that he's a roaring lion. You know, pastors told us all the time, a lion don't roar when it attacks. A lion roars to intimidate. So here's what they start doing. Hey, man, you know, you keep doing what you're doing, and we're going to come, and we're going to kill you all. The people start freaking out. No, no, listen, listen, it's, it's, it's... you know, he, God doesn't say we can't freak out. Man, now listen, uh, a faith walk is trusting in the Lord. It's not knowing. There, there is no knowing that comes with faith, you know. It's, it's, it's just doing. So what, is, what does Nehemiah do? I love it. He says, you know what, we're going to cut the people in half. Well, you know what, give them pitchforks, shields. And here's, here's the best part. I want to pull this scripture up. It's uh, from Nehemiah 4, 17. It says, those who built on the wall... And those who carry burdens loaded themselves so that in one hand they carried, they worked at the construction, and in the other hand they held a weapon. Now listen, I'm telling you guys, there's coming a time and a season for all things. And sometimes when you're doing great, he's going to stretch you. You're going to be stretched. You're going to get tugged. You're going to have people coming against you. You might have the person standing next to you going, I don't know, man. You know what I mean? You might be hungry. You might be... You know what I mean? You might be wore out, but I'm telling you, there are times when the great th- things that God's doing in your life that you might have to pull out your sword. There's times you might have to pull out your spade, but there's coming times, man, that you're going to have to pull them both out. Okay? And, and, and here, I'm I I with this. Do you know what's great about that is not one soldier ever got touched. Not, not, not one person ever fell. Not one army attacked. And the place was built. The impossible was done in 51 days. That's how good God is, guys. 
stand to your feet, church. That's our special guest speaker today at Encounter. All of our guest speaker messages can be downloaded from our website, godenc.com. Messages from Bishop Michael Rice are freely available on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter. We